Well, good morning, church, and happy Memorial Day weekend to each of you. Hope you have a, uh, a wonderful one. And uh, I want to uh, maybe first just to say that takes a little getting used to if you're up here preaching. I just want you to know. And for those of you that say that I look better from a distance, this is like your worst nightmare. So all you back row people that have tried to get as far away as possible, here I come right to you. I saw before the service that we have two of our former pastors that are here with us, and I just want to acknowledge uh, them and their wives. Uh, Jeremy and Michelle Carr are right here, and Chris and Eva Carr are right over here. Why don't they just stand a second, and uh, it's great to have them back with us. All right. They are here, uh, they're here celebrating the 30th anniversary of their mom's 30th birthday. So, hope they had a wonderful time doing that. Also, I, I thought I would uh, just give you a little report on last weekend. Many of you know I was uh, at Community Bible Church in Cedar Lake last weekend. It was my first time with them, their first time really uh, seeing me, I preached there, and, and then we had a town hall, and we answered questions, and uh, it went really well by the, the word of their own leadership. They felt like it was a really great kind of initial, you know, it's, it's like the beginning of a relationship, and it takes some time and some trust and, and all of that, but it went really well. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we had a few curious uh, Bethelonians who uh, sort of snuck in and were observing the entire thing, which was nice to have moral support. But uh, please continue to be in prayer uh, regarding that merger and uh, for them and for us and God's will to be done. When you think about the way that God purposed to save the world, from a human perspective, there are a few moments in the redemptive story that seem very precarious. Now, I say they seem very precarious because, and I say from the human perspective, because from God's perspective, there is, there is no such thing as precarious. There are, there are no contingencies. There are no what ifs. God never frets in heaven wondering what he's going to do if something goes a certain way that he wasn't expecting. It is all being uh, accomplished according to the purpose of his own uh, good and free will, Ephesians 1.11. But from a human perspective, there are a few moments in the story where this whole thing is just kind of uh, uh, balancing, it would seem, on a very precarious ledge. For example, an angel shows up to a 14-year-old girl and says, you are going to be the mother of, a, of the Messiah. An eighth grader raising the Son of God. That sounds precarious to me. Fourteen. Or to think about as Jesus was in her womb, to think about the, the Messiah, all the hopes of humanity floating in amniotic fluid. That seems precarious to me. Or I think about the cross as, a, as another moment where all the hopes of mankind and our hopes for salvation are, are hanging on two pieces of wood. Today we're going to take a look at another precarious moment in the story, and it's in Acts chapter 1. Acts 1 is after the resurrection of Jesus. It is before his ascension. Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, 
And he is there with his disciples. Who is Jesus about to entrust the sacred message of the gospel and the mission for uh, the reaching of, of mankind with this message? Who is he placing all of his trust and hopes in? Who, who, it's these disciples. And we just got done studying John and we learned about these disciples. Uh, this is not exactly uh, the group that I would necessarily want to pick to do this. Because what have we seen about these disciples? They are... I mean, they are, they are frady cats. I mean, they, they are, uh, Peter, the rock, denies Christ three times. John had his issues. Thomas doubting all the time. We could go down the list. These, it's, this, it's not exactly SEAL Team 6 that we're talking about here with these disciples. Notice the Memorial Day theme. You get that? Just trying to bring it all together for you. Uh, they are, they are all too easily frightened. They are uh, obsessed with their own greatness. It's all they want to talk about. And so these disciples, boy, they remind us of somebody. Who do they remind us of? Reminds us of, together class, us. That's right. So we can take some hope in that. But from a human perspective, to think about Jesus about to ascend to heaven, entrusting to a group of characters like these guys were, all of the hopes for eternal salvation, the only hope for uh, uh, forgiveness and the avoidance of eternal condemnation, resting now in the actions of these 12 guys. Well, let's read what Jesus says to them here in Acts 1. And uh, we begin in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And with that then, the earthly ministry of Jesus, in terms of his physical presence, done. There they stand. And last week, Tony introduced this new series that we're in, Acts, a a church in transition, because we are also a church in transition, and we want to pull out of the book of Acts key themes and key truths that we can learn and then apply not just to our church, but also to our lives. And last week, Tony introduced this series uh, from a a book that we call the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, in my Bible, uh, my header page, Yours probably says the same thing, the Acts of the Apostles, which I think the Apostles would be appalled at to think that this was named after them as if it was them that was actually doing it. It would be better named the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles by the Holy Spirit. Better name. But that doesn't fit quite as well on the top of a title page. And by the way, the names of the books of the Bible are not inspired, so I'm not doing any heresy here. Uh, But it truly is the story of Christ, the story of his mission, the fulfilling of the Great Commission by the Spirit through the Gospels, or through the disciples. So verse 8 gives us now the mission plan. And we see this outline. It's not only the mission plan, it's also the outline for the book of Acts, where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you read through Acts, that basically is the outline of the book. It begins in Jerusalem. 
It moves then to, uh, to, to Judea and Samaria. We have the Samaritan Pentecost. And then through the ministry of Paul to the ends of the, of the earth, the known earth at that time. It's an outline, a basic outline for the story. And you get to the end of Acts, and it ends very strangely. It ends uh, very abruptly. Paul is in prison there in Rome. And you expect, as you're reading the story, to turn the page and to see then the next chapter, Acts 29. But it, it, there is no Acts 29. It just ends there. And it gives the idea that this is an ongoing story. It's almost as if we are, we are Acts 29. The story of 2,000 years of the church is the next chapter in the story. The ministry of Jesus is an ongoing ministry. It is an ongoing mission. And we have the privilege of being a part of it. Now, one of the main themes in Acts is the Holy Spirit. And uh, to make sure, who we, we, make sure we know who we're talking about with the Holy Spirit, let me just quickly do a very quick theology of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, is often referred to as the third person of the triune God. God, as revealed in Scripture, is one, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But as we read through uh, the Bible, we come to discover that God is three persons in one. That's where that word trinity comes from, tri-unity, three persons in an absolute oneness and wholeness, a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a person. He is not a force. Do not think of him, Star Wars fans here are thinking, oh, I got it all figured out. There's the, you know, the, 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 the force and the dark side. And so I get maybe the Holy Spirit is, he's like the force. And Satan would be like the dark side. That's not what the Bible presents at all. In fact, that's part of our issue, I think, is to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is presented in the Bible as having uh, personality. He uh, gives joy. He, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he speaks. There is a person. He is a person, not a force. I also think he is, in spite of that, he is one of the most difficult, he probably is the most difficult member of the Trinity for us to understand. I think part of that is it's harder to relate to God the Spirit. Like God the Father, I have a father. And so when I think about God the Father, I kind of can at least relate in some way to God being the Father. And Jesus came and became a human and lived on earth. And we read the stories about how he walked, he talked, he ate. Guess what I do every day? I walk, I talk, I eat. He was human. I can relate to uh, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. But when it comes to God the Spirit, it's challenging for us to relate to a person like the Holy Spirit who is invisible, uh, whose title in the Trinity is less relatable. And because of that, unfortunately, he has, I'm afraid, in the evangelical churches, he's somewhat the junior member of the Trinity. Like, if you think about all the times people talk about God the Father, of course, we pray, as Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven. Or all the talk that we have about, about Jesus, and rightly so. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. Uh, but when it comes to the Spirit, if you were to add up all of the 
the, the, the talk, the theology, the interest, God the Father and Jesus, they, they gobble up this massive percentage of it, and the Spirit sort of gets the leftovers. And in the evangelical church, it seems like he is somewhat the junior member of the Trinity. And this, I would say, is uh, not the way that it ought to be. It certainly is not that way within the Godhead. The Spirit is the one who energizes the mission. He is the one who regenerates us, makes us alive, makes us born again. He is the one who applies the redemptive benefits that Christ accomplished on the cross, applies them to our spiritual and moral account before God. He is the one that unites the church. We are baptized in the Spirit at salvation. We become one body. We are the body of Christ. He is the one who inspired the Scriptures that we read and are God's revelation to us. He is the one who unites us, can make every effort to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. He brings our hearts together. He knits us together in love. He is the one that is generating spiritual activity within the heart of the Christian and within the church. He is God's active presence in this world. Jesus isn't here. He's in heaven. Who's here? The spirit is here. And it seems like in the church then, we have to rightly worship Christ as our Savior, our Messiah, and our Redeemer. But if we somehow ignore the God who is here and who is here by divine plan, we are missing something, are we not? I think so. Now some of you right now are maybe confused because you, are, you, you saw the title of the sermon, uh, Empowerment for the Mission. And you're thinking to yourself, well, this, I thought this message was going to be about empowerment for the mission. And all you're talking about is the Holy Spirit. I don't see, like, is is this a, a typo somehow? No. The Spirit is the empowerment for the mission. How does God accomplish what he does? He does it by the Spirit on earth, in us. In the church, he is the animator, the energizer, the, 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 the active presence of God on earth. And that's basically what I want to say to you today as we think about this and as we think about our church and our church in transition. How is this done? What is the, uh, what is the power behind it? It is the spirit. And what I want to say today is that, that the spirit means presence, God's presence with us, and it means He means power, okay? Presence and power. Or to say it this way, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in this world, in the church, and in every Christian. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence on earth, in the world, and in every Christian. So, what we're going to do today is we are going to look at the role of the Spirit in mission, in acts, and pull that out and apply it uh, to our own, our own church and our own lives. And we begin uh, this by talking about the Old Testament. Let's go back to the Old Testament a moment, uh, because you, might, you, you could read the book of Acts and say, wow, uh, Acts is when the Holy Spirit came, and before that, he, he, he was like chilling. 
He didn't, he was just waiting to do something. In reality, uh, that is, that is not the case. Uh, the Holy Spirit, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come in a new way and in a new intensity and in a new role. The Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. In fact, you begin in Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth. Right at the beginning, we see the Spirit of God. And as you read through the Old Testament, there are moments when the Spirit would come upon somebody and empower them to do something. For example, uh, the Spirit came upon the judges to empower them to be judges and to save Israel from their oppressors. Uh, the Spirit came upon Saul to lead Israel. The Spirit came upon David mightily for him to, to do what uh, God had called him to do, For Samuel 16. So the Spirit is there. I mean, even when they build the tabernacle, the Spirit enabled a few of the crafters and the workers to make very beautiful designs and to make it exactly the way that God wanted. So the Spirit is there, is the point. But even in the Old Testament, there are, all, there are these prophecies about a coming day when the Spirit would come in a new way. Let me give you some examples. Joel 2, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36. So we look at these and what do we see? The spirit was there. He was active. He was a part of what was going on. But there was going to come a time, a day, when the Spirit would come in a new way, in a new power, in a new enabling. In fact, the Ezekiel passage in particular, I will take out your heart of stone. And if you think about the story of Israel, what were they? They were constantly hard-hearted, weren't they? God would God would save them. Send the judges and save them. And then they would, re- they would, re- they would repent. And, but then what would happen? Quickly they would turn uh, back and their hearts would become hard like stone. And God says, you know what? Uh, there's coming a day when I'm going to take out that hardened heart. And I will replace it with a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that actually pumps spiritual blood. And from that new heart, there will be an enablement to obey my laws and to follow me. That day is coming. Can you imagine the people reading that in the Old Testament? Like, what is that going to be like? Can you imagine how fantastic it would be to have God's Spirit in this kind of way? Oh, man, I would love to be a part of that. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, people longing, wondering what that would be like and how wonderful it would be to have a heart that beats after God. So we get to the Gospels, and Jesus has a lot to say about the role of the Spirit. Some examples, John 14. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now remember, what did I say I was going to say to you today? What is the Spirit? Presence and power. What did Jesus just say? He will be with you and he will be 
in you. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Key phrase here, he will glorify me. What is the primary role of the Spirit in this world? He does many things, for sure. But the big goal of the Spirit is to bring glory to Christ. When we've studied this before, I've said his role, he's a floodlight. Like at the front of the Museum of Science and Industry. Flooding up onto the Museum of Science and Industry. Nobody goes along Lakeshore Drive and says, what amazing lights those are. No, why? Because the lights are illuminating something else. And in that way, the Spirit is illuminating Christ. He is not here to draw attention to Himself, but to draw people to Christ and bring glory to the Son. Now here is a remarkable statement, John 16. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now that's an amazing statement right there. If I was to ask you uh, today, how many of you would rather have Jesus in the service today or the Holy Spirit? Jesus people? You're like, I don't know how to answer that question. (laughs) Right? Holy Spirit people, maybe. In Jesus' judgment, which is better for us right now? It is the Spirit. He says, it's to your advantage that I leave here. Now, in my mind, it's easy for me to think, man, it'd be awesome if Christ was here, wouldn't it? We'd put him right here. We'd all, we'd be on our faces. We'd be worshiping. We would, we would be just weeping. We would be happy. We would be, Christ is here. He is amongst us. It'd be, the, it'd be the greatest day ever. But in Jesus' mind, what the Spirit brings and what the Spirit does and for what God's mission is in the world, it is better for the Spirit to be with us than even for Christ Himself to be here. Put that in your theology and smoke it. I mean, that's a big, that is a, uh, that is a big change. That is a big change. How should we value the Holy Spirit in the church? Look at the way Jesus valued the Holy Spirit in the church. And what does that tell us? And also, in these, do you see the, the language here that Jesus is talking about? Power and presence. When we think about the Spirit, in, in these passages, He's the Spirit of truth. He's the helper. He dwells with you, in you, guide, speak, teach, convict. I mean, if if this is all that you knew, that God was going to give this gift to those that believe in Christ, it would be really exciting, wouldn't it? Man, it'd be great to have a a helper. and Who doesn't need a helper? Anybody here not need a helper? Who here doesn't need guidance? Who here couldn't use a little conviction? Right? That all sounds great. Bring the Holy Spirit. Well, wait, it gets better. And that's what we see now in Acts 1.8. What gets better here, Jesus describes how this, this mission is going to work. He says, but you will receive what? Power. 
Who here doesn't need a little more power? We all do, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Presence. Power. Presence. The Holy Spirit brings both. And this would be fulfilled very quickly. In fact, that's verse 8. Jesus ascends to heaven. The disciples are at the Mount of Olives. They walk across the Kidron Valley. They go back into Jerusalem. They gather back in the upper room. And I wonder if you can sort of hear in the minds of the disciples their wonderings about this. I mean, they get, they get back there and they're like, wow, he, re- he went fast. How do you do that? And by the way, what, what did he say that we were supposed to do again? I thought I heard something about the ends of the earth. And these are guys, I mean, they've hardly been anywhere. They've been like basically in a, a space the size of, uh, you know, from here to Lafayette. That's all they know. And now Jesus said, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Hmm. And how, how is that exactly going to happen? Especially a group like these guys. I mean, they can't lead ants to a picnic. How are they ever going to, how are they ever going to take the, the message of Christ to the ends of the earth? And can you hear them saying, did he say something about power? I thought I heard, did you hear him say something about, I thought I heard power in there somewhere. What is this power that he's talking about? And Acts chapter 2 records now this fulfillment of what Jesus said. It was on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, 40 days after his resurrection. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Listen, everybody, we ought to be cheering when we read this, because this is such a decisive and such a wonderful moment in the story, a a moment that we are so dependent upon having happened. This is the moment that Ezekiel and Joel and Jesus were referring to when they said there's going to be a, a, a spirit in a new way, in a fresh way, in a more powerful way, in a more enabling way. There's going to be a power that's going to come upon you. This is the moment. This is when the spirit comes now down in a new way. And the text says like a mighty rushing wind, like a, like a tornado, down he comes. Okay, so don't think about the breeze sort of, this is like the freight train that you hear about, right? What does a tornado sound like? Everybody in the, in the trailer park, they're all, it was like a freight train coming through the trailer park, right? Here comes the, the Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind down into that room. Upon the disciples, what is that? Presence. And notice that they are enabled immediately to do what? Speak. That's power, presence, power, Pentecost. It's hard for us to overstate how important this moment is in 
the story. I mean, this is the moment where the life of God by the Spirit breaks down into the, the story of mankind. This is when now the full blessings of the gospel and what Christ did on the cross is now enabled within mankind. Now the Spirit comes in a new way, in a fresh way, in a regenerating way, in an empowering way, so that even weak vessels like these disciples suddenly now become men that turn the world upside down. It is not the acts of the apostles, we know these guys too well. It is the acts of God through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes and now dwells within His people. It is a wonderful moment in redemptive history. The inbreaking of the age of the Spirit. The beginning of the church. Do we ever celebrate birthdays? I mean, the cars are celebrating the 30th anniversary of their mom's 30th birthday. Does the church ever celebrate its birthday? If you were to say, when's the birthday of the church? This is probably what you would point to, I think. The beginning of the role of the Spirit. The indwelling of God, not in a temple, not in a holy of holies. But now, what is the temple of God? The human heart that submits to the message of Jesus. Now the Spirit comes and dwells within each one of us. Presence. And with that presence comes power. Power to do what God has called us to do. Pentecost. Have we overlooked this in our kind of understanding of things? Because when I think about this, you know, we celebrate for weeks when the second person of the Trinity came to earth, right? We call that Christmas. So we, we give gifts to each other and we, we, we sing carols and we do all kinds of things celebrating, you know, joy to the world, the Lord is come. It came upon a midnight or silent night, holy night. We could just, I mean, we could roll through all kinds of songs. We love them. We love Christmas. Okay. Right now on the count of three, let's sing, let's sing, uh, one of our celebrative Pentecost songs when the spirit came. One, two, three. I can't think of one. Seriously, can you think of one celebrative song for when the third person of the Trinity came to earth? This is kind of what I'm saying. We, I think we don't have this properly balanced biblically and redemptively. And ironically, and I, you're going to think that we're brilliant in our planning or something like, it is not the case. And I didn't realize this until Friday. But do you know what weekend this is? T- today is Pentecost Sunday. I truly did not plan that. It was just like a, whoa, I did okay. So here we are on the birthday of the church. Let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, dear church. Happy birthday to us. Maybe that'll stick. You'll remember that then, okay? The birthday of the church. Maybe we can get that on the church calendar. Get, a, get, get some good Pentecost 
song, Dustin. All right. Let's build a little theology of this from the book of Acts. Again, presence and power. What does this, what does this mean? And one of the things that Tony shared last weekend is that Jesus is on mission. Jesus is on mission. And we find in the book of Acts that the Spirit is also on mission. He is here not just to sort of lollygag around. He is here fulfilling the purposes of God. He is a He is God on mission, on earth. And what that means then, the way that he expresses this, are are a few of the things I want to highlight. Number one, he is here empowering us for gospel witness. He is empowering us for gospel witness. Let's be honest. What is one of the hardest things for us to do? It is to share with people we know about Christ. We get weirded out about it, don't we? The thought of doing it, we begin to sweat. We can talk about the Cubs. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the neighborhood. We can talk about the boss. We can talk about the stock market. But when it comes to saying something about Christ and what we believe in some way that might communicate the gospel to them, we get tongue-tied. What do we need? We need enablement. And this is part of what the Spirit enables let me show you acts 2 4 the disciples were filled with the spirit and were empowered to speak acts 4 8 peter is filled with the spirit in his response to the jewish leaders and he speaks boldly acts 4 31 and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continue to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. We need more prayer meetings like this, I think. In fact, maybe the reason the ground doesn't shake here as much as we would like is because we don't pray as much as we ought. I throw that out to you for your consideration. But can you imagine if you were at a prayer meeting and there is a visceral moment, the ground is shaking, you're filled with the Spirit, and, they, and you walk out the door, don't you think that if while you were praying, the ground shook, you would walk home and what would happen? Your faith would be encouraged. Would you be as fra- afraid to share with your friend at work? Probably not. Why? The ground was shaking. God is real. It's true. That's what was going on. Paul in Acts 13, filled with the Spirit. And able to speak. So in each case that we see here, the common language is that they were filled with the Spirit. So there we have presence. And the fruit of that is that they were enabled to do something with it. Power. Together. So let's just talk briefly about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And this, I think, is one of these phrases that is actually unfortunately confusing in the English language. Because when we think about fill, in fact, right now, be honest, in your mind, as I say, filled with the Spirit, do you not have some vision of a glass where now I am pouring Spirit into my glasses in my heart, and so if I'm going to be emboldened, I need Spirit to be poured into my, so he, you know, quarter, half, three-quarter, 
fall, when I have more of the Spirit now, I will be able to, to do this. Are you not thinking that? I think probably you are because in the, for us to fill something means to put in more of what I do not have. And when I do that now, I have more of it than I had before I was filled. That's how we use the, the word. But in reality, this is not that. It is, it is not that we are getting more of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, the moment that you profess faith in Christ, the Spirit came dwelling within you fully. Okay? Fully. If you're, if you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. You have the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit. The issue for us is not whether or not uh, we have Him, but whether He has us. Okay? Are we allowing the Spirit to exert His power in us? Now, why do you suppose the Spirit finds it difficult to do that often in our hearts? Because we have this very sinful, fallen will that is all the time exerting authority within us. And we very naturally follow that will, do we not? Think of the week that you've had. Over and over again, we tend to go the selfish way. We tend to, uh, to, 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 to go the sinful way. We easily fall into temptation. We buy into the values of the world. We are being led not by the Spirit, but by the secular culture. We're living for the things that matter in the world. What happens when we are filled with the Spirit is that I am actively seeking to yield my heart to the purposes and the plans of God in my life. I am, in a sense, surrendering my sinful desires and will, which always are trying to exert authority. I am surrendering that, and I am wanting what God wants in my life. And as I am seeking that purpose in my in my life for God to, to do His work... Now the Spirit is enabled to exert His power and to do things in me and through me that I can't do myself. That is why the Christian life is a supernatural life. We are fallen. We are sinners. If it was just us to do it, we would never do what God wants us to do. But through salvation, the Spirit has come and is now transforming us, sanctifying us, so that my desires and my priorities and my values are uh, decreasingly what my sin nature is desiring and increasingly what God wants in my life. And as that yielding and that receiving of the Spirit's control happens, I am empowered to live a life that I could not live before because I'm a sinner. It is the Spirit-led life. It is the, people use this word, I think, improperly, but the Spirit-filled life. It is the Spirit in control. We are not to be drunk with wine, Paul writes, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does he use alcohol and drunkenness as a contrast to what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Because we all know what it's like to see a drunk man. We say things, uh, that was his liquor talking. 
right? He's smashed. He, if he was sober, he, if it was really him, he wouldn't do what he's doing, right? That kind of thing. We all, we all, we all, that kind of thing. We get what, when, when alcohol is in control, we understand what it do, does to the, to the man. When the spirit is in control, similarly, it is the spirit that is talking. It is the spirit that is guiding and directing. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. It is something that we are to seek and to want. In fact, you can ask your, <clears throat> I oftentimes pray, Spirit, I ask that you would fill me today. Add that to your prayers. It, it helps to orient your thoughts and what you're really wanting to do in that day. Spirit, fill me. Fill me today. J.I. Packer says this, The Christian life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotion and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. The Spirit does it. His presence, His power, enabling a supernatural following of Christ. And this is to be an ongoing pursuit. We were one time baptized in the Spirit. That's a one-time thing. When I come to faith in Christ, baptism of the Spirit is something that the Spirit does. Filling of the Spirit is something that He does as well, but it is an ongoing part of living the Christian life. There are times where the Spirit is wonderfully in control of my life, and there are times when He is, uh, unfortunately, not in control of my life. But I am to seek it at all times. I need power. And to have power, I need His presence. All of us do, right? Amen? Okay. If it was left to us, if this church was left to us, we wouldn't make it till tomorrow. But we have the Spirit, and He is doing His work. The next thing we see in the book of Acts is that it is the Spirit that guides us on this mission. Some examples, 829, the Spirit led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. In 1019, the Spirit urged Peter to hear Cornelius' delegation. As Peter comes to realize that that the gospel, Christ's salvation, is for not just the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. In chapter 13, verse 2, the Spirit identified, set apart, Paul and Barnabas for their missionary work to the Gentiles. And we see in 16.6 in, in that the Spirit kept Paul from going to Asia. He had a different plan for him. So the Spirit is on mission. The Spirit leads us on <clears throat> this mission. How does he do that? Do you get an email from the Spirit, a daily devotional email? This is what I want you to do today. Anybody got an email from the Holy Spirit this week? I, I've never got one. A couple on Facebook, but never on email. <laughs> How does the Spirit guide us primarily? This is His inspired Word, right? The Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures. When it speaks to us, it is God speaking to us. Like if you came up to me and said, you know what, I heard the voice of this morning i would maybe say well what passage were you reading right 
And it is that way. Many people, oh, I want a voice. I, gotta, I want to hear an audible voice of God. I have never heard the audible voice of God. Some people hear it uh, multiple times before breakfast. I have never had one time heard the audible voice of God. And I'm not going to say that he can't do that if and should he ever choose to do it. But the primary way that God speak to, speaks to us is through his word. The spirit inspired this. It lays out the mission priorities for us. As I come to understand it, now I begin to see my day, my family, my coworkers, my, 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 my home, my time, everything about my life. I am increasingly seeing that from the perspective of what God's priorities are for me. This is how he speaks. And as I do that, yielding and surrendering my sinful will to what God wants in my life, increasingly my life is being shaped by the priorities for the mission. And now the directions and the the, 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 the decisions that I'm making are more and more in line with what he wants and are therefore, by the way, empowered, empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit does that. We see this around here often. In fact, I had, I had dinner with somebody on Friday and I said, you know, we don't tell our stories very well at our church. We don't. We have so many things. We, you know, we hear in counseling, we get at small group reports, we get, people's lives are being transformed. How, how does this happen? It sounds something like this, typically. God gets a hold of someone's life. Maybe they become a Christian. Maybe they were a nominal Christian, casual Christian. Something happens, tragedy, some trouble. They come to their their wits end and they realize they've been living for themselves. They've been living by their own priorities. And all of a sudden now they're like, you know what? I need God in my life. And things begin to change. They start praying. That's a big change for some people. God, I want what you want in my life. The things that they're interested in begin to change. They used to be all about hobby, some kind. Tons of time into that hobby. They know every stat, every detail, everything going on with their favorite team. Can't quote a Bible verse except Jesus wept. All of a sudden now, things begin to change and the batting average of the six man in the batting lineup is not as interesting It doesn't seem as important. Begins to think about life and eternity and his children and things change. Starts to read the Bible. The kids start tripping around and around the house. They're like, what is this? Dad, what's, what's this? It's the Bible, son. Where did it come from? The closet. (laughs) Why is it here? I, I don't know why it's here. I'm just starting to get a little interested in this thing. And not just the Bible, suddenly like Bible study or a sermon or, you know, they, they start iPodding sermons from their favorite preachers and all that stuff. It's getting interesting to them. What's going on? They are orienting their life around spiritual priorities. The church becomes more important. Why? Because Christ died for it. Their neighbors, instead of being the bane of their existence, They begin to look at with a wee bit of compassion and thinking about them as image bearers that are going to spend eternity somewhere. 
Some things get less important. Making a name for yourself, making money, those sort of things. Other things become more important. What is happening? The presence of the Spirit. Through the gospel, this is not apart from regeneration. Through the gospel is beginning to exert his sanctifying influence in their life. His presence is creating a power that they themselves do not, the genesis is not from them. And the change then that is being evident is the fruit of the power and the presence of the Spirit in their life. And that change and that now life is a supernatural work of God. The Spirit is doing this. That is what it means to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Jesus is on mission, the Spirit is on mission, and where the Spirit is, His power makes people on mission. That's the way it works. Finally, I'm just going to read this verse because I love it. Acts 13.52, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And I just want to point out a truth from this verse, and that is that where the Spirit is, we say, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love, there is peace. There is always joy. He is a glad spirit. He is a joy producing. I'm not talking about the sort of sentimental, temporarily happy kind of thing. The deep abiding gladness in God and what he has been and done for us in Christ and the promises that God has made to us. And that is a kind of joy that the circumstances of life cannot take away. That is how we count it all joy, even when we fall into various trials and temptations. It is the fruit of the spirit. We look at that verse, we go, how can anybody do that? Why would you ever count it all joy when you're trials and temptations, right? (laughs) No, thank you. Good times. That's better. Bad times. Not so much. But when the Spirit is there, renewing the mind, living by Spirit priorities, now even the trials in life are sources for enduring joy. He brings joy. Those two always go together. Presence and power through us, in us, which is for our joy. Now, last night, I got to this point in the sermon, and uh, would you help me a second? I set this down. I got to this point in the sermon, and uh, yeah, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to share something that um, has been a source of joy uh, in my life, and so we're going to play the video. This is from last night's service. Roll the tape. 